on today's episode of The Mythic Masculine. You know, in our culture, we're very familiar with uh, baby showers for women and for the moms and for the families and blessing ways if you're getting a a tad more uh, ritualistic with it. And I think having a blessing way, a father's blessing, is something that's so vital for, for a couple of reasons. As a father, you're going to have a moment where you go, oh my God, like I'm so overwhelmed and it's going to come out in, in one of these type of ways, sadness, anger, like re- retreating, whatever that is. And having that blessing way where you had other men, other fathers look you in the eye and them tell you their truth and them give you their, not only advice, but their blessing. Like, hey man, when it gets hard, remember this moment. Really getting the, the gold out of other men's experience as you're embarking on your new experience, I feel like is, is very powerful medicine. What does it mean to be a man today? The old archetypes of masculinity are dissolving, and the new ones are just beginning to rise. In the era of Me Too and biospheric collapse, how might we look to the old myths for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of the emerging masculine. Greetings, dear listeners. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. Today, I'm happy to share my conversation with Adam Jackson, one of the three co-fathers of the Sacred Sons men's organization that has been making waves these last two years. I was introduced to Adam when I attended their Sacred Sons convergence in San Diego last October and was impressed with the way they stewarded 200 men over two subsequent weekends into realms of connection, healing, and empowerment. In this episode, I speak with Adam about the recent birth of his second son, Holland, along with the birth story of my own son, Oren. We explore the importance of not losing yourself as a new father, how he uses ritual to stay connected with his partner, and why the healing of the father archetype is so needed in modern culture. Enjoy. Check one, two. Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? Adam Jackson. Welcome to the show. What's up, Ian? Thank you for having me, brother. <laughs> so great to connect. Yeah, man. It's uh, You caught me on a rare rainy day here in San Diego, so this is a nice way to spend the day chatting with a brother up in, up in, the, cold, up in the real cold, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Coming at you from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love for you to actually describe where you are right now. The place and also the scene for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in my home. Um, We actually have a granny flat that I've converted to a a temple space. So one of the things I really desire in my home is to have a a sacred space, a space that I can go to um, to meditate, to reflect, to be away from the kids' toys, um, you know, to to have a space to clear my head. So it's just a, a single room, a nice big uh, florally decorated carpet. I have an altar with some altar, uh, with some altar items. And actually before we got on this, I, I just did 25 pushups, did some jumping jacks and I, and I smudged myself in here. So <laughs> that's kind of what goes down in here. And aside from that, I also record, uh, the sacred sons podcast in the studio as well. Beautiful. You know, I had a thought the other day, you know, when I meet people on, we chat and, and just talk about maybe their spaces, uh, I find it interesting, actually, that now if somebody doesn't have an altar space in their home, 
I'm almost like, yo, what's up with that? Like, how do you not have an altar? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how far, I don't know how far it's, it's that was from my upbringing, um, but that to me is so, so necessary to have that relationship to the sacred. And I'd love for you to actually do maybe even say, you know, again, because of your uh, co-fathering of sacred sons and this conversation, we're going to get into fatherhood and, and son and all the rest. And maybe to begin by starting with that first word, sacred, what does sacred mean to you? Hmm. <sighs> Sacred means so much to me, <laughs> you know, beyond the banner, the flag that I wave of sacred sons. Sacred is the experience of life itself. It's the purest form of, of life. It's the purest form of expression. Um, and so the things that I hold sacred are, are really just that, our experiences, are the the love the the connection that I have in relationship I hold I hold that very sacred, and when it comes to spaces creating uh, a sacred altar space like you spoke to you know it just brought up for me that when I was a kid I even used to build these sacred altars even though it would be out of like my WWF wrestling figures and like my toys like stacking them up and in creating like this altar of like oh wow these are the things that I'm worshiping these are the things that are important to me you know, at a young age. And so now I'm doing it with crystals and sound healing bowls and all this kind of stuff. But it's the same intention. It's it's having a space where I put up these items that bring me back, that connect me back to myself, back to my heart, and back to those experiences that I hold sacred in my life. I love that definition. I think, I don't, I don't know if I clearly defined it, but you know. <laughs> you did. No, you did. You've just come through another sacred portal, it seems, with uh, the birth of your second son, I understand. Yes. Yeah, and I'd love for you to maybe just speak some of how that story unfolded for you. Yeah. So, Holland Judah is today, I want to say he's 20 days old. So, so we're really, we're really new in it. And um, he came through uh, to Hannah and I, my partner, uh, last April, right? And that was actually after having miscarried. And so, so Holland is actually a, a true, what they call rainbow child. You know, Hannah and I had sat in ceremony around the spirit that, that wanted to come through, but that didn't. And, you know, we held a lot of space for each other in that time. And so when we got pregnant with Holland, um, it was, it was even more precious. You know, you really, um, experience the preciousness of life when you go through a miscarriage. And so having Holland come through and he's so strong, he's like this big boy. He's so strong, so solid. And having him come through the portal, as you called it, um, after having gone through a loss was very significant to us. And so we see him with, with these eyes, even of, of more, um, eyes of gratitude, but just eyes of eyes of the divine, because we really know how precious this life is. And so for him to come and be with us at this time is so special. And as you said, so I have my first son with his mother who we co-parent with. So we're, we're part of a larger co-parenting family and um, we can speak a little bit more on that if you like, but, but just, you know, also having our, we're calling him our little peace warrior. He's coming through and he's, he's actually like filling in some of the gaps, some of the cracks in our co-parenting relationship. Like he came through as this peaceful warrior that really has allowed more love to come through more bonding. And now that Noah and Holland, uh, my two sons are, are blood. They're, they're kind of like holding our family together in this, in this way, if that makes any sense, you know what I mean? 
What was different this time than the first time? I was just more prepared, way more prepared. And I, I, I'll tell you, I, if you don't mind, I can share a story about Noah coming through because uh, yeah, it, yeah. it kind of builds up. So six years ago, after a five-month kind of whirlwind, whirlwind relationship, um, Noah's mom and I found out we were pregnant. And I was I had always been one of these guys like, like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be a dad. I was kind of like, I could take it or leave it at that point. And I think a lot of guys feel that. And, and I was coming in, I was uh, 33 going on 34. But I felt him coming through so strongly and the love was there and the situation felt right to bring him through. And I could, I could really feel him coming through. So I actually went and had my first ayahuasca sit around that time to prepare myself for fatherhood. Nice. And that first night, you know, I sat and you've sat with the medicine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll just I'll just skip all of the, the 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 beginning portions. But we drank the medicine. I sat back. I went I went through this portal and into this space. Blasted through uh, what I call like the kaleidoscope realm. Blasted through into this white space, and I felt this this being or this embodiment scan my face, and it, and, it, and I could almost feel it as if someone put their hand across my face, and the the spirit said to me, "I remember you." And at that point I was like, oh, I felt it wasn't like I was being recognized as Adam Jackson in this ceremony. This spirit recognized my soul. And it and it really touched me to this point, like, wow, I've never felt my soul recognized in this way. And so as the journey does, things are moving, and all of a sudden my vision flips and I'm holding this vision of my son Noah. And I was staring at him, and I took my hand in this vision and I touched his face and I said, I remember you. And, and in that moment, I recognized his soul. And, and if anyone's done the medicine, you kind of maybe have your own interpretation of how the downloads come. But in that moment, all of these downloads started coming in into, into my body saying like, you, you were together before you like your souls had this contract, this connection that you wanted to be together. And, and it was kind of showing me how our souls had been connected in previous lives. And it was that moment where I was like, oh, this is, this is what I was looking for. I was looking for that depth of connection uh, to this being who was coming through. Even though he was unborn, I had this like really profound connection to him and to his soul. And as he was, as he's born and he's five now going on six, it's, it rings so true. Like my soul and his soul are connected. And so having that awareness in, in this one, uh, going into this pregnancy, I had this knowing I didn't know I didn't need to go sit in another ceremony. I didn't need to prepare myself for fatherhood or prepare myself to receive this beautiful love that I didn't know if I could hold back, you know, five years ago. Now I know I can hold it. Now I'm welcoming it. And now I'm now I am the medicine. I'm like when when I received Holland, like when he was born, this was this was like it was like ceremony as well. It was 1.30 a.m. There's candles all in this birth center. It was Hannah. Uh, a midwife, a nurse, uh, Ardula, and myself, and it was very peaceful. It was there was like so much confidence in the room that he was going to come through and that he was going to be safe and strong, and we all had this belief. And so he was born. The nurse is wiping him down, and I'm I'm like looking him in the eyes. I'm saying, "Hey, hey, Holland, you're here with us." Like, oh, you know, it's it's this big profound moment. But no, it wasn't like this. A lot of tears. It was just like this knowing. And I swear to you. The nurse is, is wiping him and patting his back. And I was going, hey, Holland. And his eyes had been closed up until that point. And he lifts his head up. And he's a brand new baby. And 
both of his eyes shot open and they connected with my eyes and he went down and he looked at his mom and we were just blasted with his his essence his everything and it was it was just a very beautiful birth it was a very a magical moment for me um and for Hannah and for our family and it, it's kind of interesting because he his essence filled the room and then he kind of shrunk back down into this little baby now that he is and uh but it was it was beautiful man so i i just wanted to share those little bits because I think a lot of times fathers don't get to share birth stories. Fathers don't get to share these type of experiences or um, the the sacredness or the beauty of these experiences. So for me, it's cool to, to chat about with another brother. Wow. Yeah. I really appreciate hearing the story. You know, it makes me think too, you know, I have a young son who's, uh, he's about 16 months now named Oren, Oren Steadyheart. And he gained that name, I feel, because of the the way of the birth and, you know, my partner, we labored at home for 12 hours or something and, you know, got to the point where it was very beautiful and, you know, the candles and all that stuff and mm-hmm. got to the point where there was kind of a level of risk uh, to proceeding, you know, that we really had to to listen, I think, to the, the midwife and the doulas and they were like, okay, you know what, to, go to, to continue, it would be better to have a apparatus of support around at a medical center. So we really had to wrestle with that out, you know, was it you know, failing the ideal story to proceed in that way, or, or was it just listening to, you know, what, what wanted to happen? And anyway, it culminated in basically, because we live on a small island, right, just off from Vancouver. Right. So we had to get transferred to a larger hospital, uh, which included actually them sending a chopper uh, to the island. Whoa. Yeah, to, to pick us up from the small um, medical facility they have on island here. But the issue was, they had fog actually that day, um, very heavy fog. And so the helicopter couldn't land at the smaller hospital on island. So it had to land uh, actually on the field of the elementary school on island here. And and so this is about 6 or 7 a.m. or No, a bit later, about 8 a.m. So we get there. And after and like partner, 20-something hours of, yeah, yeah, of laboring. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So we get to that point where you know my partner then, she's actually then transferred to the helicopter with me there. I look over and this it's an elementary school, right? And like legions of kids are all like lined up on the side looking like this is the greatest thing they've ever seen, yeah. this helicopter in their school. And uh, we get on board. And at this point, I'm pretty wrecked though, right? Because again, the uncertainty, the loss of the plan, whatever the plan was supposed to be. And uh, at a certain point, uh, I just cracked, like just cracked and the tears came. And, you know, the transfer ended up we flying from uh, the island to... Victoria, which is a larger hospital, but we broke the clouds and it was this gorgeous sunrise, you know, after mm. heavy, heavy fog. And we landed there and we went through this, you know, rest of the procedure. She was very well tended and, and the rest of it went well and beautiful. And there was something in that, again, that like they did the heart monitor most of the time, you know, just checking in on the, yeah. the safety. Yeah. And every time they checked, he was steady. He was just steady, steady heart bumping away. So there you go. So steady heart became boom, really clear for us. And, uh, and I really felt too how it was actually the second birth I'd been in the presence of my, one of my best friends. I was at his birth of his first Mm -hmm. daughter. So I was a little familiar with the scene, you know, the, the, what really felt like this, again, this shamanic portal of, you know, to the other world Yeah. to the point where, you know, the first time I, I had been there with my friend's child, again, I was so blown open by being present to that, that I really, I walked out of there and I was like, how is everybody not talking about this all the time? <laughs> like, it's like, that's how it happens. Like it blew me away. Yeah. So I guess my, my question to you, I'm curious now that again, having been twice and maybe you've been to other births too, 
um, or maybe you specifically for the birth of your child, what do you feel is the role of the man or what has been your role that you felt most of service to be called to be there? What was, what was that role for you? Yeah. My role exclusively is supporting Hannah through the birth. And this is not, it may seem obvious, right? But this is actually something I had to learn from the first time around. And I would say I was more prepared to, to not think of myself in that, to not think that I needed to be uh, doing something for, for my son or like being something other than, other than my like utmost support and like intuitive response for her in the moments that she needed me. And even in the, in the parts where she's like, no, lift my leg up higher or like, don't squeeze that hard. <laughs> you know, the, even the, the little things it's for me, it was a lot about not taking anything personally, just being there, just keep holding it. If she says the massage feels good and my arms are tired, just keep doing the massage because she's doing all the work. You know what I mean? And, and why I say I needed to learn that, it kind of comes from, you know, raising my first son and, and him being like six months and me wanting to rush things and me wanting to be there and connecting with him and, and, and realizing, oh, like, no, he needs mama and mama needs to be supported. And, and, you know, that's what a lot of these early months are about. And so going into the birth with that awareness um, and, and being in full service mode uh, to my partner, but then also having this reward of, of that first moment of eye contact, that first skin to skin for me, you know, because there's a time where she needs to rest so I can take the baby while we're in the birth center and, and hold him and be skin to skin and all that. Um, but for me, the, the primary role is, is to be of service and, and to lot, not let myself get in the way. Cause as men, we, you know, sometimes we like to get in the way with our, with our minds <laughs> <laughs> and just because you've had the, uh, the hospital experience, um, as have I, a big part of supporting Hannah was like knowing what the birth plan is and being able to confidently speak to the doctors and nurses. And our doula was so so helpful in that, but being able to say no, when it's time to say no and being able to ask for what we need when it's time to ask. Um, because the medical system, they, they can push you into things, especially when, once they deem something to be like an emergency or something they need to keep an eye on. Um, sometimes it's like, okay, please let us sit with that. And then we'll, we'll give you our answer. Like not being in a rush, not feeling like we're being pushed, but really, really being like a space holder and being able to take our time to make decisions. You reminded me of this beautiful image that came uh, during the birth of my son, where I really tuning into her and being present, I really felt this, like her, her being was really in another dimension. Mm. Like or, or her spirit seemed to be in another dimension where she was really it felt like reaching for or or diving into this other realm to go make contact and retrieve our son. Wow, That's really kind of how it felt. Yeah, this yeah. this sense of like that she would, and so the man in this case and me, I really felt oh like I'm a tether here actually. Yes, like that's kind yeah. of what I feel my role was a, a, like a tether a tether at the edge of the portal to to like ground her being still so she wouldn't go there and get lost in that realm, but to be able to come back and be received and certainly massive help from the doulas and the midwives, all that. Right. But there was just something energetically about being being the man in this case and being that tether. It's just, yeah, it hit me really hard in that moment. Yeah. You know, and I think there's an old paradigm of men not being in that space, men waiting outside, men not even being 
at the hospital, whatever that, that is. And so there's, there is a bit of learning that, that I am doing because as I was told by my mom, my dad wasn't even at the hospital when I was born. You know, he was like, let me know when you're ready to be picked up. (laughs) That's just the reality of what was going on in 1980. Right. So for me, it's like a, it's a learning experience. And, and what I've learned through now two births is that like, yeah, like I helped in the creation of this life and I can help bring this life through that portal into reality by holding space, um, Mm -hmm. for, for my partner. You know, I think that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing we can do. I've heard that fatherhood is something that comes after a time, you know, with mother, with motherhood, it's something very clearly, you know, they've, they've just given birth to this being and, and their whole body's overtaken right by this whole process of life actually gathering within them and then coming through. And I feel for men, and maybe it was the case for me too, this sense of almost having to like braille my way towards what, what does fathering mean? Um, You know, with, with examples, of course, you know, my father and seeing fathers, but, but, having that experience of it, that it's something that sort of comes on, um, over time. And I wonder for you as well, how have, how has fatherhood come to you maybe after the first birth of your son and, and what does it come to me now? What is the fatherhood of the medicine of fatherhood? <sighs> yeah, I think that's, I think that's accurate. And it has to be that way for, for several reasons that that fatherhood comes to you. And I'll, I'll explain why, you know, when, when we're in this baby phase, you're just getting comfortable holding this little guy, trying to soothe him when he cries, when, when it's needed, when, uh, the mom's in the shower or whatever, being there to support this, this, this tiny little human. And like I said, and with my first son, my, my initial thing was like, Oh, I can't wait till we're playing catch in the yard. Like that's when I'm going to shine. <laughs> right. Yeah. But there's, there's this whole buildup that has to happen before that's even uh, a reality. Right. And so being able to be there for those early months, um, just to, to have that connection, I think is really important. And I guess how I evolved into the father that I am at this point is really by letting go of aspects of my selfish nature. And I want to be clear because it's not like losing myself. Because I'm, I'm going to speak a little bit about that because as fathers, sometimes we can lose ourselves and think, oh, now this is my only responsibility is to these other people that I'm responsible for, but we're actually responsible for ourselves at the same time as a priority. Um, but the pieces that I had to lose around selfishness were, you know, simple things like, I, I like, listen, I'm not like a big partier, right? I'm not, I'm not saying I, I need to stop partying and stuff like that, but it was like, Oh, I need to like really set this time aside to be present. I need to make like strict things around putting the phone down so I can be really present in my household. And I think that's, that might sound like it's obvious and that it's naturally going to happen, but it's not naturally happening. You have to actually, I had to actually work on it. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so being present, um, is, is where I'm at right now as a father. It's, it's, it's like putting the, the distractions away, setting them aside and trying to be as present as possible, uh, with my sons. And then just a, a piece on the letting go, because, I really think that there's a piece where I could say, oh, I'm not going to do the medicine ceremonies or I'm not going to do those um, those retreats or going out to the desert for days for a vision quest that, that actually fulfill my soul. And if, if I put that stuff off too long, then I start to lose a bit of myself 
the, and, and I know that my sons need me to be full, right. To show up in my fullness so that they can be held and supported on their journey. And so there's this balance that I'm doing as a father of like, not taking on too much where I'm not present and also not giving up too much of the things that make me who I am to where when I am present, I'm not my fullest. And I'll give you just a brief example. Cause it just happened this weekend. Sacred sons was on a New York city or immersion. And so we had been planning this for some time and, uh, you know, flights booked bags packed. And the night before we're supposed to leave, Hannah had, um, uh, shoot. What's the, what's the, uh, infection in the breast called mastitis. Sorry. So Hannah had mastitis and we had to get her some antibiotics because she was having some pain. And so it just was like, it, there was this question, am I going to fly out to New York city for this one day immersion or am I going to stay home and hold space for the family? And I, and in, in this case, I just, I chose to stay home. And I think early on, like, let's say five years ago, I would have been much less likely to choose to stay in spite of like this thing that's serving myself. And now I'm, now I feel like much more confident in the choosing to stay because I know what that means long-term. I know, I know how that affects like things going forward. So beautiful. You know, I'm thinking of this quality of masculine nurturance that I feel is actually quite rare. You know, if you look at, you know, mass media and, you know, we see so many examples of a kind of masculine hardness Right. And, uh, and often a competitive nature and actually very few examples of what I would call like a, a masculine nurturance. And, um, that to me seems to be certainly at this stage as well, um, with the young child that, that, that is also something I feel that maybe is unfamiliar to most men or who become fathers. I know it was to me. Like one of their more recent thresholds, uh, with, uh, Oren is that I've now over the last little while been the one putting him to sleep and often waking up with him. And uh, that's the shift from prior when my partner would be the one, of course, nursing him to bed. And, you know, we're at the stage where he'll just nurse all night now mm-hmm. because uh, because he likes it. And so now it's like there's a fathering needing to come in and like create a kind of compassionate separation uh, from the mother in these moments. And what's that, what that's awoken in me is, yeah, there's a really beautiful nurturance, which is unfamiliar and also feels very soul affirming. Yeah. for me and it's yeah sort of an undiscovered uh element of fathering that i'm just touching now and i wonder if you also experience that i i i fully experience that um i'm i'm a very affectionate person by nature so i'm all down with the cuddles and the hugs and the love and and all that so that, that comes very easily and naturally for me um but when noah was 2 that's when he started to to need more attention to go to sleep I'll just say it like that. He was like, he needed movement. He needed motion. And for a lot of people that might look like driving the car around the block or whatever, but it, it came to be a point where with his mom, he wasn't able to fall asleep. And so what I started doing was taking walks around the block with him because he just, he needed to be, he needed to be up and moving. And, and, and this is like, it's a nurturing thing that I was doing, but I, I decided like, you know, I'm not going to lay with him and, and sing songs and be soft. Like we're going to walk around the block, you know, I'm going to wrap him in a blanket, even if it's a little chilly outside. And I know that after two walks around the block and I sing, um, like a, some Bob Marley song, everything's going to be all right. You know, and I walk around the block twice. He's out. He's out. There's no, there's no like hour long thing. It's just, it's, if I do this, it's going to work. And so finding, you know, you, you're calling it gentle and nurturing, but there's still an element of like 
the wild that you can bring through. There's still an element of like, I'm going to do this in a masculine way because it works. There's a, there's like a shift from the, the really gentle coddling to like, Oh, you, you like to be shaken a little bit more. You like to be held in like, like you feel that a little bit more. So I think a big piece for me was, um, again, it's not losing myself in trying to be the mom. Come on. Like I'm not doing that. No, we're no, you can't, you can't even come close. <laughs> we don't have the tools to, to even come close to that level of nurturing. So finding our own way as men and, and even like the deep voice, if you have a deep voice, I just find like oming and humming to my, even my 20 day old son now oming on his head. He loves it. He like, he starts moving. He, he you know what I'm saying? And, and Hannah can't do that. Right. <laughs> so there's these, there are these pieces that you can bring through and, and still have your masculine essence to it. And it's not always ab- about the most delicate softness. A friend shared with me one time. I, I don't know if it was his, uh, he'd read it in a book and he shared it and I really appreciated it, but he said, you know, in this culture, the mothering, the medicine of the mother is generally understood and, as to be this nurturance, you know, compassionate gentleness. Um, I'm not saying that's fully true. Of course, there's a whole other, you know, fierce mama <laughs> edge yeah. as well for for women, certainly. Um, but they're saying that that early mothering medicine, like that is the medicine. And then at a certain point with the father, that there's a certain other medicine that that is meant to kick in. Um, and if it doesn't, it's actually a detriment to the growth of the child. And, mm. and that medicine is it's almost like the the willingness to challenge um, or to, to sort of invite the bit more of the, I don't know if it's wildness per se, but invite the world, you know, in, in a, in a more controlled or compassionate way. Right. Because then if the child kind of grows up and, you know, the whole mama's boy, of course, is the whole archetype of the one, the child that never left the mother and that there's, there's something in that, which is less understood because it actually seems kind of harsh, you mm-hmm. know, for the father to be the one to come with the challenging energy to the boy. But that in fact is, deeply necessary for them to be able to face the world. Yeah. And I wonder again, how that's been for you. Yeah. I would use, I would go as far as to say confronting, you know, sometimes with, with my five-year-old, right. I, I have to be a bit more confronting with him. Like, Hey, that's, that's not, we're not getting ice cream right now. (laughs) You know, that's not happening. Or, or it's like, uh, reframing things to like, you're like, yeah, if we do this and we do this, do we do this? Then we can have the ice cream, right? Building, getting structure, building frameworks for, um, it's not always about incentives, but it's like giving structure even to, to playing, to getting outside, to doing, doing things that may be uncomfortable even at an early age, you know? So I think there is a bit of that where, um, in my experience, yeah, my, my partner now, she, she's, she's definitely way more on the nurturing loving pieces. And I, and I, I naturally can bring in that confronting energy and I, and I think it is welcome. I think it's, I think it doesn't really, it's not really helpful until two or three or something like that. But yeah, structure, I'd, I'd say structure is what comes up for me there because, mm. and, and my son, he really responds well to it. And we, we play rough. We have, we make agreements before we, we wrestle and do, do all of that kind of stuff. And like, these little tiny wins that we accumulate, like, can we do this? Can we jump off of this thing that this, this high? Can we, can we go over these monkey bars? Like things like that. And, and get, having that bit of confrontation, I think is super healthy. And in my case, especially for these young boys, you know. How has the fathering you received in your own childhood, in your own life, how has that showed up or not showed up based on, you know, what you're trying to pass on or what you appreciate and, and wanted to incorporate into your father? Yeah. So my parents were separated, um, 
when I was just born. And it was before I was one. And I know, I know most of the story from my mom's perspective. I don't really know much from my dad's perspective. And maybe that's a conversation I'll have at some point, but I just haven't had it. And so when I was going through a similar thing when my son was around two, I'm like, oh man, it, am I like a part of this karmic chain? Am I, am I perpetuating the cycle of, you know, leaving a relationship with, with a, a young child? And I really had to, to take a look at that. And what I found is that although there are similarities, like when we're looking at breaking these karmic chains, you can do it link by link. And it's not about like accepting the, the, the entire thing. And so what I mean by that is my father was an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. My father was largely not present when I was young. I'm super present. And even in the co-parenting, I have my son half of the time. And beyond that, we share photos and we, you know, we're constant. I'm, I'm super accessible in places that my father was not. And so I would say in that respect, that showed me aspects of the things that I didn't want to perpetuate down my line, right? On the positive side, my father's super generous. Oh my gosh. Maybe not so much with his time, but when we like, you know, we were like an every other weekend type of family with my brother and I. He was always so generous uh, in terms of like cooking us meals, playing games with us, having us all set, um, showing up at, you know, showing up at like sporting games and things like that. He, he actually came through, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, I have, I can count on one hand the times he didn't show up and, you know, those kind of things hurt or whatever. I, I really just, I, I have a sense of his generous nature that, that meant so much to me when I was a kid that I really do, uh, continue to learn from and to like to Mm -hmm. pass on Mm -hmm. and let's see like beyond that ah i'll I'll, I'll tell you this little piece as well you know my my dad's dad died when he was very young Mm -hmm. and he witnessed that Uh, my dad's father had a heart attack when they were driving Uh, they had a pig farm they were driving down this dirt road and my dad at five years old was in the passenger seat his father had a heart attack and drives and crashes into a tree Right. So I I never met my grandfather on my mom's side. Her father died young as well. I never met either of my grandfathers. And so when Noah was born uh, at that time, I had lived in San Diego like 10 years and my, my dad had never come to visit me. We just, he's just not really like that. Doesn't like to fly much. But when my son was born, he called me up like two days after. And he was like, he's like, how long do you think it'll take me to drive from Ohio to San Diego? I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't know about two days. He's like, he's like, I'll see you in about four days. And I was like, I was like blown away by this. You know what I mean? And, and he did it, man. He drove across the country. He showed up and like he completed this karmic chain that had been missing from my life. So my son getting to meet his grandfather was like this fulfillment of a, of a cycle or there was a piece there that was put into place. And I was like, yeah. And so I think the showing up in the big moments and, and like continuing that healing journey that's not linear, you know, like I'm, I'm healing aspects of my own experience through my sons in, in a way. And, and, the re, and the work continues and the relationship is still there. So I guess I would, I would also point this out. If there's anything that was missing from the relationship with my father, I'm now getting to experience that through him as a grandfather to my two boys now. And that's something I don't take lightly. You know, I'm like aware of it. So so fulfilling some of the needs that I may have had as a, as a kid, 
it's like coming to fruition now. Beautiful. I'm remembering at the uh, Sacred Sons Convergence that I attended last uh, October, where you called for uh, a fatherhood council. Yeah. Yeah, which was such a beautiful uh, gathering of the fathers there. And I was really touched by one particular moment where there was uh, an invitation to, I, I think, a man who had a, there was a young child in the womb of, of his partner. Yes. I think it was you or maybe Aubert had gathered the, the man and called forth all of the other fathers to, to surround them. And what, what I felt was to, one, give an opportunity to speak to the man as, in a way as if they, they themselves were, were longing to be spoken to. Yes. You know, and, they never, and they never were. You know, so much of uh, us in this modern culture don't really have these kinds of cultural ways you know, that would have been inevitable that, that other fathers would have gathered with this new father to be and to, you know, to, to bestow and to see him and the rest. And I feel like that moment was really this village conjuring moment uh, for me there, uh, which I so appreciate. And I wonder if you could speak to about how, like how, how vital it is actually for fathers to be in the loving and necessary feedbacks, <laughs> feedback loops, you yeah. know, from other fathers to, to, in a way, um, ensure that, you know, the kind of blind spots that may have been passed down from their father, fathers don't get continued to be passed down. Yeah, man. I mean, this is just another example of something that I never, that I didn't have that I was calling in, which looked like support from other men who had been through similar circumstances. And what I really liken it to is a blessing way. And, you know, in our culture, we're very familiar with uh, baby showers for women and for the moms and for the families and blessing ways if you're getting a, a tad more uh, ritualistic with it. And I think having a blessing way or a blessing, a father's blessing is something that's so vital for for a couple of reasons. One, as you know, there's going to be a time where shit just hits the fan, whether that's with your amount of patience, with whether that's with your anger or with your uh, stress levels, whatever that looks like as a father, you're going to have a moment where you go, Oh my God, like I'm so overwhelmed. And it's going to come out in, in one of these type of ways, sadness, anger, like re- retreating, whatever that is. And having that blessing way or that moment where you had other men, other fathers look you in the eye and them tell you their truth and them give you their, not only advice, but their blessing. Like, Hey man, when it gets hard, remember this moment. Like this is vital, potent medicine, because when you don't have that, then like you said, the word tether earlier, which I really like that when you're not tethered, when you're not grounded uh, in a, in a knowing that this will be okay, that I will get through this. um, It can be very tricky and it's very difficult to navigate. And, and as men, you know, we're not going to reach out a lot of, a lot of times we're, we're isolated in a situation and we typically put ourselves in that isolation. But what that father's blessing does is allow men who have been through it to look you in the eyes and to speak to you as if they were speaking to their younger selves. And that's how I prompt it. What would you tell yourself that you, that you didn't know from your experience to this man who's just becoming a father? And it might not make sense to him in that moment, but when it gets hard, he can go back to that experience. And I, I just think that's really powerful. And you know, one of the first things I say in the father's council is this is not a workshop. I'm not leading this. Like this is a council between fathers, between men, between our experiences. And it's a place of respect, non-judgment to like really speak our truth. 
And for a lot of guys in, in that council, the truth looks like, hey, I, I'm absent from my kids. I don't see my kids. Um, other times it looks like I work all the time and I'm stuck in this cycle of working so much that I'm, I'm not present with my kids. Uh, it, it, there's all kinds of things that come up. So like really getting the, the gold out of other men's experience as you're embarking on your new experience, I feel like is, is very powerful medicine. It was too, for me as well, to be there and to experience that. Man, I tear up every time, <laughs> you know, like it's, it really is powerful. And, and just, you know, for people listening, we're out in the middle of the desert. We all are huddled up in a cave. So we're literally 20 guys, like all huddled down in this cave. And, and in this case, it's a Kali cave. So there's these paintings of Kali inside. And, you know, we're, we're just men in this space sharing what experience we have in an attempt to sharpen all of us, in an attempt to make us all better. And, you know, we close out with, with commitments. You know, that's what we come out of that experience with. What are we committed to in our fatherhood journey? And that's the question we, we go out with and that we explore. Sacred Sons, I think it's on the website, but it says something like, Stewarding the return of the fatherhood archetype. Co-stewarding the return of the father archetype. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'd love to hear more about how that came about um, as a beacon for Sacred Sons and for you within the context of what we're all talking about here, which is, you know, fatherhood of uh, your own children, but also the larger fatherhood archetype in the culture at this time. Why is it so necessary to to return? Yeah. Why is it so important? I think the father has largely been absent in our culture. I think what the father is has largely been misrepresented uh, and kind of like repackaged and sold to us in this age of uh, media marketing. And so when we speak about co-stewarding the father, it's on a few levels. You know, you have the literal father of children and what that looks like is, you know, making sure men are around to raise their children, making sure that when a man has a child, that he is supported from a brotherhood, from other men, from other fathers, so that he can show up in his best way. That's like on a very literal, like practical level. There's also the, this idea of father God. And what that looks like in our culture is that God is this distant thing. He's, he's away and we're, all trying to do our best to be good so that God will come down and bless us and we'll be accepted into his kingdom, which is way, way, way out there. Mm. But what we're talking about with sacred sons is that spirit is here now. Like we collectively embody the spirit. And so for me, the return of the father archetype is, is like, is like acknowledging the father is not gone. The father is the essence of each and every one of us and how we play out our roles in our families, in our lives. And on the spiritual sense, uh, spiritual tip, it's like getting connected through our bodies, through our hearts back into the presence of that, of that father spirit, which a lot of us may not have a connection to because of whatever we didn't have men in our lives. You know, we didn't have healthy role models growing up, whatever that was, but we're, we're starting to bring these things back and we're starting to acknowledge, um, the good we're starting to acknowledge what the presence of a father really means. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I feel it. I, f- I actually am, am, am beginning to feel the shift and I'll, I'll be really honest. You know, Jason wrote that tagline 
which I love. And, you know, we, we talk about all, all of the archetypes, but specifically to the father, I'm like, wow, that's like a, that's, that's a lofty goal, <laughs> right? To return the father to this planet. But as we're doing this work, I'm seeing it more and more, I'm seeing more men light up, show up in their own lives. I'm even starting to see it more in the media. And it's not because of anything that we're doing. It's because there is a real shift happening. Um, and I'm starting to see role models and I don't really want to throw things out to popular culture too much. But when you start to see like LeBron, for example, LeBron for me is a sacred son. Like he's raising his kids. He's like, he's like someone we can actually look to like, damn, LeBron's doing this. LeBron's like filling this, this role out there in that realm from the, from the sports stars. And that's great. But how can we as sacred sons, as individuals in our own life, reflect that as well. Because it can't just exist in, in the uh, illusion of media. It has to exist in our hearts. It has to come in our homes. It has to come through this brotherhood that we've created. Mm. And so mm. that's what we're doing. What do you think? Um, I'm digging it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of uh, just a quote from the fellow Jordan Peterson, who you may or may not know. You know yeah, I know Jordan Peterson. Yeah, yeah. And a uh, very controversial figure. And um, the first episode of, on this podcast I did uh, with the directors actually who did a film a documentary about him. But I was listening to one talk that he gave and um, he, he cited some statistic where he said, actually, what's the number one indicator of a, a young man's willingness to turn to crime and, you know, to, to kind of fall out of a contributing member of society? And he said, the number one thing is not bad fathering. It's actually no father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the absence of the father utterly. And I'm sure bad fathering, of course, is also not good, but that there was something about, you know, looking to the context of the moment, which, you know, using the lens of patriarchy, which I also feel, again, is such a challenging word to to use, you know, because if you look at the archetypal uh, translation of patriarchy, it, it literally means the rule of the father, right? No, rather, the, it's not the rule of men, which right. is a more broad definition. A lot of the times, right, it usually gets used as that but the rule of the father. And so what does it mean now to have a culture where patriarchy is the label, which is if it truly means the rule of the father is actually seen as the root of all evil, right? According to uh, a certain cultural commentary at this moment. And so in a way, it doesn't really leave room. I guess what I'm saying is not that there isn't a deep problem, of course, with the structures of oppression and all the rest. But if that's the definition we have of what the rule of the father means, then that's hardly an aspirational uh, you know, invitation for men to live into to say, oh, well, the rule of the father is essentially uh, foundationally evil. So where do we go from there? You know, and so this is why I'm saying that this sense of uh, aspirational models of of father are actually quite absent. And so in a way, it feels like we are kind of trying to find our way in the dark, Uh, largely, you know, in this culture. And certainly there's many cultures, indigenous, that would have had, of course, like a deeply rooted understanding of what it means to father within their particular cultural context. I feel feel what you're saying there. And what came up for me is this idea of patriarchy is just kind of flipped on its head. Because if I think about, you said the rule of the father, and that brings up control for me. And I don't think that that's the role for the father to be controlling. I think structure, I think support, I think foundation, grounding, and container versus control. And I think what we're living in is a time where um, men have wanted and have controlled the narrative, 
controlled um, controlled societies, controlled what's able to be expressed, for example. Mm. And, you know, as we, as we come out of this desire to control and, and have more of a dire to hold, to hold the space, to be a container and to be that structure, I think that changes the, the conversation a little bit. And I'm also like, I'll go back to the last presidency, like with Barack Obama like how dope would it have been to just acknowledge like, like what if we had um, a first couple, right? Where it's not just about this president. What if we have Barack and Michelle both running shit? Is that really so bad? You know, like what if we have first families? What if we have um, a, at least in the conversation to acknowledge like, okay, Barack is this, I mean, I thought he was, I thought he was a really, he's a really charismatic, charismatic person. What you believe about him politically is whatever, but um, if you were to acknowledge that there's this really strong woman who supports him in this journey and just like look at them as a family, as a unit making decisions, you know, at that level, I think that's what the future looks like. If, I think it looks like families. I think it looks like men and women, maybe in, in on the terms of councils, both uh, leading us into a greater future. I love that image. Beautiful. There's a fellow uh, who I'll probably be interviewing on the future episode named Clinton Callahan, but he coined this term, which is looking at, you know, so we had matriarchy uh, largely in history, and then that shifted to many cultures into patriarchy. I think there's sometimes a sense of, oh, so what is the future? Is it go back to matriarchy? matriarchy or and, oligarchy? You know, I, well, exactly. Yeah, hopefully not. Uh, <laughs> but he coined this other phrase, which he said, uh, partnerarchy. Or, right. or, or the translation is actually archiarchy is his way of really? saying it. Yeah, which I love, as I think you've just articulated, actually, which is this noble partnership, you know, between, say, the masculine and feminine, or to have a couple, you know, at the helm in this, you know, dynamic partnership of service. Amazing, right? I mean, just in, in the context of what I was saying with the, the past presidency, look at this current president. Um, look at the relationship with his wife and and. Honestly, no, none of us really know what goes on, right? But this port, the picture that the media has portrayed is like they don't hold hands. Like they are so far separated in their ideas and in their behaviors, and and in many cases, it looks like they don't even really get along. And and that's no judgment on anyone's relationship, and certainly not this president's relationship. However, I would like to see strong foundational relationships at the root, at the core of what our leaders bring to the forefront. Because if someone is not aligned in their relationship to the people closest to them, how can they be an effective leader for the ones who are not close to them? Right. That's how, this is my personal belief. So, so as we're like, as we're shifting and, you know, of course the, the feminist side is like the future is feminine and that's, you know, that's one way to think about it, but I think the future is balanced. I think the future is honest more than anything. We got to get, we got to start getting really honest. And, and it doesn't, and, and in saying that, I really, I really do believe that anyone, any gender can be a great leader, right? They, they, you know, anyone can be a great leader, but the qualities that we look for in leadership, they should be, they should have strong foundations in relating to people and in relating to your family. Perfect segue. I'd love to know how you stay connected to your partner in this, in this certainly these tender you know moments, and during the pregnancy as well. I'm sure that there was, you know, lots of challenges came up and beauty and all the rest, and 
how have you managed to to stay connected you know to to speak that for other fathers to hear and it's a question i certainly hold often too in the midst of the craziness of parenting and all the rest and sometimes right like the relationship can be subsumed to the parenting project yeah. and and it's very easy to kind of forget that oh yeah we also have a relationship too and i, I just wonder how you tend that uh in a in a way that you know nourishes you both yeah so i'll i'll go to this this pregnancy um which was very difficult actually uh, my partner at 29 weeks, uh, she had an appendectomy. So she her appendix ruptured, and she had to have her appendix removed while pregnant. So this is emergency surgery in the middle of the night. It was very, it was a very scary situation. We had to rush to the hospital. Uh, fortunately, <clears throat> the surgery went went well, just like with your son. My son's heartbeat was strong the whole time they were monitoring, but it shook us up quite a bit. And I guess for me, it kind of it kind of got me off course from this whole beautiful experience and natural this, and it's going to be so, you know, it's going to have this like fairy tale type of story. And, um, it wasn't that it was very, it was very hard. It was like the recovery was really hard. And it looked like, again, like me holding, holding a lot of space. And even though I wasn't sick myself, it's like, I gotta, I gotta work. I'm holding down the the practical side of it and I have to nurture uh, my partner who's like recovering from a massive surgery. So yeah, for, for in that time, it looked like holding space. And so I had had plans for, for her to have a blessing way. And this, this uh, appendectomy kind of got in the way of those plans. Right. And I, and in my mind, I kind of let it go. And Hannah had expressed to me like, Hey, that blessing way would really mean a lot to me. And in my mind, I had kind of checked it off. Like the time has passed and we've gone through this other thing. It was so hard. Let's just not do it, you know? And so this was right after Christmas and I was, I had some time off. So we had a lot of time together at home and I started to feel it again. I'm like, okay, let's do this. And it's just me and her and a bucket of water, washing her feet with some flowers in the bowl and, and doing like a very ritualistic ceremonial type of thing. And, and this is my point is like coming back to ceremony coming back to what's sacred in your relationship. So I, the studio that I'm in now, I filled it with candles. I turned off all the lights. I had a chair. I got a bowl full of uh, uh, water with rose petals in it. I'm not saying this to sound like I'm so romantic. It's just, <laughs> it's what I learned on the internet. <laughs> you know, burned some sage and, and, and gave her like a blessing way that can only come from me. And from my heart. And I didn't write it. I didn't really prepare much. I just like came from my heart as I'm washing her feet, telling her things, like telling her why we're doing this, why we're bringing this, this life in. When my, when my brain wanted to actually give up, I like, I was like, I don't want to, I like, I'm, I'm, it's, it sounded like stressful for me almost, but to, to follow through and to do it and bring that back. If you ever feel like things are getting away from you, things are too, up in the mind, things are too practical. The world is, is kind of becoming overwhelming. Go back to simple rituals. And for a lot of men, we weren't taught ritual. So we're, you know, in my case, I'm kind of making it up as I go in, in many instances, but it doesn't deny the fact that getting back to like prayer and intention and uninterrupted space between my partner and I, 
Like that's really where, that's really where it comes from. And it's not to say that I'm always in that space. That's not the point. The point is to that being like this point I can go back to, to recalibrate and reset. And so that was one in this pregnancy that really helped. And it really, in the end, it really filled my soul up. It filled her soul up. And I, and I believe that was um, a catalyst for this peaceful birth experience that we had because her and I got reconnected after the, like kind of the traumatic experience of the, of the surgery. It really, really brought us back to what was real and what, what was important for us. Wow. You know, uh, <laughs> that's so beautiful. Yeah, man. And in this, and so like after pregnancy, right, this is a time where it's still a lot of rest and recovery. Uh, I learned how to make some soup from my bro, Jay Mac. <laughs> he gave me a little recipe book for the crock pot just to keep some like warm food going in the house during these months. But that's always my go-to is go back to ceremony. And that doesn't mean sitting with mushrooms or like doing something crazy. It doesn't have to be that, even though I really appreciate those experiences as well. Sometimes it means just burning a little sage, even after an argument. I tell this to, to sacred sons all the time. Hey, if you have an argument with your girl or your, your man, your partner, whoever, like when it's cleared, have a ritual. So like light some sage, light a candle, make that your candle that you do for your arguments, clear the space physically as men, we have the tools and we have the capacity to rebuild that container that we're talking about. So after the wildness erupts and after the anger and all the, you know, you said all these things that you regret or whatever, and you get to that point of like, of actually reconnecting with your partner, make it a ritual, light that cedar, light that that sweet grass, you know, reset the space, reset your energy and let that be, allow that to be its own portal for you guys to come back and to reconnect. This is how, this is how it's, it's been working in my life. This is where I see like, Oh, I wasn't taught these rituals. I wasn't taught some some of this stuff, but it really, it's really effective and it's really powerful. There's another teacher I studied with, uh, or studied some of his work called, um, the way of counsel. And, uh, there's a fair amount of that sort of, you know, the sitting and the talking piece and that kind of structure, which is really helpful, I find, for relationship dynamics. And there's something about actually articulating or giving a, a kind of intelligence to what, what he refers to as the third of the relationship. So that the third is itself like a, a being. And it, mm-hmm. it is that what exists between you both. Yeah. And I feel in what you've described, this ritual... Uh, willingness to set up ritual and to clear the space is really a way of feeding the third between you of honoring it. It's a way mm. of honoring it and, and welcoming, welcoming it back in to the relationship. I see love as an entity as well. So you, you said it a little bit differently. I see love as a living entity and love is with you and love is without you. And it's like you between two people, like you, you have storms come through, like emotional storms come through and like sometimes in clearing all that, you you need to invite love back in. And ritual is the way. I love that. Adam, wow, such a pleasure. Um, anything we didn't touch on that uh, you wanted to speak to before we close? I guess what I want to say uh, most to anyone listening is that um, whether you're a father or not, this journey of, of honest masculinity is not for the lighthearted it's not easy. It looks like getting really, really real, looking yourself in the mirror and being honest with yourself, being honest about exactly where you're at. It's not about being better or worse or anything like that. 
It's about getting really real so that you can cultivate the life that you choose for yourself. And with Sacred Sons, we have offerings, we have some processes, we have tools in our tool bag that help us get back into alignment, help us get back on our life's path, help us get into our purpose. And as men, we need purpose. That is, that is, a, that is a fact that I have come to really embrace. We need purpose in our lives. And so if you're a man who's floating and you're, you're, maybe you're feeling a disconnect from your purpose, maybe you're feeling disconnected from love, maybe you're feeling disconnected from self-love. Maybe you've never felt self-love. Hmm. Now's the time that we have cultivated a community to hold space for that, to, to be around for that. And if you're a brother who's like flying high and doing really well and just seeking you know, your next stage or your next level or, or even supporting other brothers. Like this is, this is the way I found this really regenerative cycle where you get the, some of the healing that you need and then you go into deep service mode and that deep service allows the healing to continue within yourself or within myself. So we have it brothers. That's what we're doing. That's what sacred sons is. <laughs> and, it, and with that, that's an open invitation for anyone listening to get connected. Uh, SacredSons.com on Instagram at sacred sons. If you're feeling it, join us. Where can they hear you and your interviews with a variety of guests? Yeah. So I'm super stoked. Um, I've been a big podcast fan for a very long time. You know, Joe Rogan, Aubrey, I listen to all kinds of podcasts, really the daily, you know, whatever. So as we were going on this Sacred Sons endeavor, I was like, man, I would, I would really love to host my own podcast, you know? And so we started it. We were about 15 episodes in. I do them all in person in this in the studio here. And it's been really it's been really cool because I like to interview guys and get to really know their stories of how they came into their own remembrance. A lot of times we look at men who are accomplished, who have had success. And we assume that they've always had it, you know, or, or it just looks like they have it all together. Right. So really getting to the, to the story, to the core essence of what someone had to do, had to go through to get where they are. I feel like that is really good medicine. And as men, it's like, we're just sitting around the fire, sharing stories or storytelling. That's a big part of our internal compass is that being able to receive stories and then also to share our own stories. So that's what the Sacred Sons podcast is about. You can get it on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, wherever you get a podcast, it's all there. So mm. yeah, and I'm having a blast doing it. So next time I'll, I'll have you come down if you're, in, yeah. if you're in San Diego, we'll have to get another one in. Next Convergence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll have the, I'll have the setup there for sure. Mm. Well, Adam. Thanks so much for sitting around the fire with me, sharing stories about fatherhood. Really beautiful to have you on the show. Yeah, man. I, I appreciate having a platform to speak about the trials, uh, the the good, the bad, the ugly of fatherhood. I think it's an important conversation. Um, and just to let other men know, like, hey, it's not always going to be easy, but there are tools, there are ways back to get into alignment um, with whatever your intentions are in your fatherhood journey. So. We welcome your stories, brothers. To be continued. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's Mythic Masculine podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening, and leave a comment. And if you'd like to support future episodes, head over to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Ian Mack. That's P-A-T 
reon.com slash I-A-N-M-A-C-K to become an ongoing funder. Thank you.